2: And the Hawaii Sports Radio Network, 95.1 FM and AM 760 in Hawaii. A lot to get into. Not going to waste your time because uh, we have the Lakers coming to Las Vegas. Uh, so let's head out to the Circus Sports Guest Hotline. And joining us now from the Sporting Tribune, Grant Mona. Grant, how are you?
1: Doing well. Wow, this in-season tournament. Uh, it's been something special. And now we have the marquee team going to a marquee place, Arash.
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, I... I didn't know what to think of this in-season tournament. I I think there was some confusion. And listen, when you do something for the first time, there is confusion in terms of these games counting as regular season games. And just so you guys know, they all count as regular season games, except for the final. The final will effectively be like a play-in tournament game, where as crazy as that sounds, like it doesn't count towards anything in terms of points and things like that. But that being said, um, what has made me a fan of this? Again, I think the league's thing was, hey, we got to find a way to make the, these games before Christmas mean something. So many fans out there say they should just start the season Christmas Day. And by the way, like, it's not like, you know, December 26th, the games are great, but, you know, that's sort of like the moment, like the end of the football season, fans begin to care. So they're, um, they uh, Priority and objective with this is to make these games before Christmas mean something. And Grant, I wanted to get your view because the way the Lakers in particular have played, but not only just the Lakers, the way that the Pacers celebrated on their court following beating the Celtics, I mean, it felt like a playoff game. What have you felt? Oh, I guess a two part question. What did you think about this in the season tournament before? And what are your thoughts on it now?
1: Yeah, I think before, there was just a lot of questions. Obviously, you know, in Europe, you have this type of thing in soccer. But, you know, let's just be fair. Not a lot of American fans watch soccer, especially basketball fans. They don't watch that type of stuff on a daily basis. So there were a lot of questions coming in from the fans' perspective. You know, from people covering the game, I think it was a, a little bit of a refresher, right? You know, anything to make guys play harder in this first part of the season, because this is usually when you see guys you know, benched for rest or their load managing in years past. And I don't, I don't think it's just the in season tournament. I think that Adam Silver did a great job with the 65 game minimum for the awards as well. I think players, you know, in their contracts, they have incentives if they win awards yeah. as well. So it's not just the in season tournament, but it's a collection of a few rules. But uh, I think the in season tournament now seeing the games and the intensity, I wasn't really sure how the players were going to take it. And almost from Game 1, you saw every team just have that intensity, that fire, that playoff-type focus, that atmosphere, like you saw in Indiana, like you saw in L.A. last night. I mean, it was fantastic to see these teams in December, early December, treating these like a playoff game. And not just the, the players, but the fans getting up for this, too. Yeah. The court makes it look a little bit different. The jerseys, the, the events... I heard JJ Redick say this on his pod, is that anytime there's an event in basketball, players tend to get up for it. Mm. Whether it be the All-Star Game, whether it be this in-season tournament tournament, you know, players just have that that more anxious feeling, that more you know excited feeling going into these games, and you're seeing it. And we haven't even gotten to the semifinal yet. Now we finally yeah. are, and it's going to be in one of the places that entertainment does the best. It's in Vegas, which is so fun. I'm I'm really excited to see how Vegas turns out because, as you know, Arash, I love Vegas. You love Vegas. That's right. Just, I think it's fit for something like this. Yeah,
2: and not to not to knock the tournament, but I mean, just from it, and again, you guys have to realize. I mean, one of the reasons when we. Beat Began the Sporting Tribune, and people ask why Southern California, Las Vegas, or Nevada, sorry, Southern California, Las Vegas, Hawaii. That is the regional territory of a lot of teams. The Lakers, the Clippers, for example, when you live in Southern California, obviously you get the games, but then it's the same as true in Las Vegas, same as true in Hawaii. You see, the Lakers have had training camp and preseason games in Hawaii. And Las Vegas, same with the Clippers. So that being said, it was really important to Vegas. And I think the league, and this is sort of where we get into that, like, nudge, nudge. Did the, uh, did, did the league want the Lakers? Of course. By the way, the lake, the, the league wants the Lakers and, uh, the Warriors and the Knicks and the Celtics. I mean, they, they want the biggest teams to be in this. Why? Because that's the biggest fan bases. It'll draw the biggest TV numbers where this tournament was at going into that Lakers-Suns game, and I don't think it played a role. It was a fantastically played game. Uh, with Pelicans on the west side, you know, and they had to wait and see who was going to win between the Lakers and the Suns. And then on the flip side, in the east, you had the Bucks and the Pacers. I'm telling you, Grant, the, the, Vegas and the NBA was really hoping for the <laughs> Lakers because it won't be hard to sell those tickets. But I'm, I'm just telling you, and this could happen, by the way, because both of these teams have been good to turn this this tournament. If it's a Pelicans Pacers final, it's not <laughs> gonna be sold out. And that's okay. It's hard to move tickets in Vegas. You, you gotta you gotta get fans excited about it. But but yes, I think the fact that the Lakers are in it is huge, right?
1: Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, a lot of people are going to listen to this and they're going to say, oh, well, you're biased. Oh, well, this and that. But it's just true. If you ask any outside fan about it as well, or anybody that's in media, they know what the deal is. I mean, we we saw the Lakers and Warriors second round series last year, Rosh, That had more ratings and views than the finals. And that just tells you something because people want to see Steph Curry. People want to see LeBron. And when you have a team like the Lakers in Vegas, it doesn't matter who they're playing. I think you tweeted this out of rush yeah. or X it out, whatever. It doesn't matter who they're playing. If the Lakers are on the floor, it's probably going to sell out, and especially yeah. in Vegas because it's so close. And, you know, I'm not even a fan of, of any of these teams that are in it, but to see, like, imagine a Lakers Bucks finals preview maybe in early December, mid December mm-hmm. when this final is. That's just something not just for the fans, but for teams actually to use as well. Now you can, you'll see how you match up in a playoff type environment. It's just great for, for media. It's great for ratings, it's great for views, but it's also good for fans. Fans should be excited about this.
2: Exactly. Uh, let's now preview the two matchups. Uh, okay. So the Lakers defeat the Suns. They now face the Pelicans. Again, I mean, I, I just remember being in Vegas that uh, July 4th weekend. Not only did the Clippers make that kind of dual uh, trade for Kawhi and Paul George, but the Lakers obviously made the move that they made. Um, but now they go up against, The Pelicans, and the Pelicans have been playing very well. And if the Lakers don't bring their best game, if they don't play like they have during this uh, this, um, tournament, they may lose. Your thoughts on this game, Grant?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, we got caught up in like the matchups and everything, but if you're looking at a matchup from pure basketball perspective, the Pelicans Lakers is a fun matchup. Yeah. I mean, you have Zion and Brandon Ingram against LeBron and AD. You have size against size. I think this is going to be a, a, a kind of a future telltale of the league for this year is just two teams at a playoff type atmosphere with a bunch of size like the Lakers have. They have three centers, a lot of forwards. Same with the Pelicans. They have a lot of size, Brandon Ingram, Herb Jones. They just got Trey Murphy back. This is going to be a fun game basketball wise. And not just that, but there is stardom as well. Zion is a big star. LeBron is a big star. Brandon Ingram is turning into a big star. And you have pests like Jose Alvarado that can, you know, influence the crowd, whatever it may be. Yeah. This is a fun matchup basketball wise in the West and even in the East. A high octane offense like the Pacers playing a high, high octane offense in the Bucks with Damian Lillard and Giannis. I mean, this is why we kind of wanted, this is kind of what we wanted for the in-season tournament. We wanted to see the stars there. And there was a lot of questions about if there's a, you know, what if it's the magic and the thunder, you know, but <laughs> now you're, you still have the ability to have star talent and you still have that one team that can maybe make like a Cinderella type run, I guess you could say. So from a basketball perspective, Arash, this is fun as well, not just media.
2: Is there something you would tweak? I mean, one of the, f- the suggestions that I had, and I think that this, goes to your previous point of, you know, if the Orlando Magic or one of these teams, it's not a playoff team, found a way to get into the semifinals. If, if you won the championship, you got a, at the very least, you were guaranteed a play-in tournament spot. I know that sounds crazy, but then it, it like, means something. Like, if you're the worst team in the league and you're like, hey, guys, well, let's just find a way to like win this in season tournament. Of course, at the end of the day, you got to win these games, so it's 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 not that simple. But I don't know. I like the sort of like wild card uh, thing. But what the thing that has gotten the most attention, or has gotten these guys to play hard, that I didn't think would, um, is the is the cash is the half yeah. a million dollars if you win. And I think so. It's twofold. There's again. More than half the guys on these uh, teams are not making. Again, they're making a lot of money, folks. But um, a half a million dollars to a rookie—that's a lot of money. So now you find like LeBron James saying, "Hey, like, let's get so and so like a half a mil, and this guy like half a mil." So, uh, what would you tweak about this?
1: I think you're right adding some incentive for the fan because if a, if I'm a fan of say the Hornets yeah. and they win a play in spot that gives me more incentive to watch down the stretch or watch them because they're going to be in a play in spot um you know just something to maybe get the fans more involved because now it's for the players mostly yeah. and I understand you trying you're you're doing it for the fans because you want the stars out there and you want them performing good it's a good product but right now all the all the incentive is on the player and that that's just showing through to the fan because now the fans are excited about the game. So you're right. Get something where it means more, kind of like we saw with the All Star Game in baseball, where yeah. if the, the the American League won, they get home field advantage in the World Series. Some, you know, something kind of cool like that. And we got to think again. Like this is the first year of this. It's going to just constantly evolve. Maybe next year there's there's going to be more tweaks. Hopefully, better court designs and better jersey designs. <laughs> but right. I digress. Um, but yeah, you know, yeah, we're going to see this evolve. And I think another thing that I I'm seeing from LeBron is that he looks like he wants to add this NBA cup to his resume. Right? Yeah. And maybe we're going to start seeing players try to do that too, as this builds momentum in the league.
2: You know what? I bet because LeBron is very, um, you know, he, he's social media conscious, of course, listen, to his son, by the way, great news. Uh, reportedly, uh, Bronny James will make his debut Sunday, Long Beach state. It times out perfectly. Even if the Lakers make it to the final of the, uh, of the, the in-season tournament, that game will take place on Saturday night, LeBron will be back for LeBron's first game at USC on Sunday. But he's very conscious of these memes. And Grant, I know you've seen them, where they got a picture of the MVP trophy and they got a picture of the gold medals. And I promise you LeBron saying, well, if there's like an NBA cup and an NBA cup, like MVP to play for... But that yeah. and by the way, right. Jordan, Jordan doesn't have an NBA cup. You
1: know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and you know what? I I think LeBron also, he wants to be the one that I won the first ever yeah. NBA Cup. Yeah. I won the first MVP and maybe he'll it'll be the LeBron James NBA <laughs> Cup MVP. That's Who right. knows? LeBron thinks like that, and I, I know he's probably thinking like that in some way.
2: Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll see how this all plays out. But you brought up a great point, you know, the, and I thought this as well. I said, the league is doing so much for the players to be incentivized to care about this. What about the fans? What I didn't factor in, and I've really become, uh, I've, I've grown to appreciate this is that when the players care, the fans care. And I think what we've seen certainly with the Suns and Lakers game last night, um, that game was exciting and both teams cared and it mattered. And, LeBron wanted to win and KD wanted to win and the fans were on their seats and they were chanting and they were pumped up. And so it's hard to get the players to care. And I know that that sounds bad because these guys are getting paid a ton of money, but the league has tried very hard to make the NBA, um, all star game mean something. It's right. a little bit hard because that's an exhibition. It's not a team. You bring in, uh, you know, 12 guys, uh, from each uh, conference together, it just—it's hard to make that game mean something. They've actually amazingly, and I, I give them kudos. They've done a good job of making the players and the teams care, and the byproduct of that, the domino effect of that, is the fans now care.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and I think that. You know, we may see the, the money improve too, and that'll give yeah. players even more incentive oh, or, yeah. you know, you could give, you know, things in your contract that say you want, if you win an NBA cup, <laughs> you'll get this <laughs> right. much of a bonus. You know, that'll probably happen in another yeah. CBA or another TV deal. So if you're looking at it from, from a fan perspective right now, enjoy the, the fruits of the labor that the players are putting out because they're putting out a great product so far. And I got to give a lot of credit to the players. But yeah, Adam Silver with the in season tournament, with the play in tournament, with the bubble that he kind of constructed on the fly, you know, with some of the rule changes that we're, we're starting to see, maybe not as much, but that league is kind of in, in good hands, I could guess you could say. Some of the five last moves that Adam Silver has made has made the game much better. And I think there's a lot of things to tweak, but just trying new things, adding new refreshers, it helps keep the fans engaged in, oh, hey, this is an in season tournament game. Let me turn it on to that because mm-hmm. it just has that logo. So, you know, it's going to involve Arash. I think it's just going to keep on getting better.
2: Um, Just switching gears to the Clippers, um, what what is your thoughts about how that they've kind of progressed and played again? I know Lu was talking about this, you know, 10-game sample size. There's been reports out there that, you know, P.J. Tucker may not have been the best. I think we were were, were both high on him coming in just as like a vet guy. Um, Your thoughts on where they're at and if they can do anything to tweak this team?
1: Yeah, you know, I, it, it's, it's been so inconsistent. It's been like a roller coaster with them. You know, PJ Tucker is now out of the rotation. That's a guy that they got in that James Harden trade. Um, they're starting to play young guys a little bit more. Obviously, Bones Highland is not a part of that rotation, but this starting lineup, it, it's so weird to Rosh because I look at some of the numbers for this starting line of this new starting lineup without Russell Westbrook and you're looking at the numbers and it's a very good plus minus. You know, they have great on off ratings. They have great offensive rating, defensive rating, top 10 in defense overall. And I'm looking at that like, why is this team not doing as well? And I think it's just the inconsistency. They lose a lot. They have a lack of focus sometimes like we saw against the Denver Nuggets who they are going to play on Wednesday. Um And, you know, they're, they're just going to have to piece together a win streak and without a win streak, they're just going to keep staying around the 10, 11 seed that they are right now. And, you know, they are playing well at times. That's the thing at times is not going to work. A lot of the teams in the league have gotten so much better and the Clippers They need to go on a win streak. And Paul George has said this as well. Without that, they're just going to keep finding themselves in the eight through 11 slot. And for a team that went all in this year, that's not looking too good. So yes, there's so much game, so much time left. I mean, the Lakers didn't even make their run until February last year. Exactly. So there is a lot of time, which is a good thing. But in a talented West, you can't really afford to keep dropping games that you should be able to win, which is what they're doing right now.
2: Uh, we may get word, uh, this week maybe next week where Shohei Ohtani is going to go again. He's meeting with all the teams right now, keeping everything close to the vest, Um, hearing reports that, you know, that this could be upwards of over half a billion dollars, 500 million, 600 million dollars. Dave Roberts saying that the Dodgers did meet with Shohei for two to three hours. Um, It does seem like, Brandon, I want to get your thoughts on this. It's either the Lakers, sorry, the Lakers, the Dodgers, the Angels and the Blue Jays. I know that there's other teams in the mix, but I think he he either wants to just like leave Los Angeles or maybe even just leave the country, mm-hmm. or he wants to stay in Los Angeles. I think he wants to stay in Los Angeles hard to tell your thoughts on where Shohei Ohtani might go.
1: Yeah, Dodger Dodger fans are kind of up in arms right now because okay. Dave, Dave Roberts actually had a press conference uh, yesterday. And at that press conference, he leaked a meeting, a private meeting ah. that happened between the Dodgers and Shohei Ohtani. And shortly after that, there were reports that the PR team met with him. And then right after that, Brandon Gomes, the Dodgers GM, kind of said, we were kind of surprised about why Dave Roberts said that. And oh. Randy and Gomes said this in a press conference. They said they were surprised. I don't know what else he said about it, but That's something that to kind of keep your eye on as we're looking at the Shohei Ohtani pursuit because nothing's really happened at these winter meetings. So you can kind of nitpick here and there, oh, he said this, she said that, whatever it may be. And there's little tidbits that you're looking at to where Shohei Ohtani was reported that he doesn't want anything leaked. He doesn't want any meetings leaked. And for Dave Roberts to do that, Dodger fans are like, oh, no, what did (laughs) you just do? So there's a lot of talk right now about the intricacies and, you know, what he prefers. I think nobody really knows. Know. The consensus around the winter meetings are that it's a clear Dodger favorite as the, as a front runner. And I, I just don't know if that's true because the Giants are more than willing to make a yeah. run at him. The Blue Jays have shown that they want to spend money this offseason. And, you know, without the New York teams, it's kind of down to just if if Artie Moreno wants to use as much money as possible and go for it. And if the Dodgers are willing to match any of the high offers, because the Dodgers have cheaped out in the past on Bryce Harper, yeah. on Manny Machado, on Corey Seager. So... I think this is their all in year that I think the Dodgers are finally realizing you got to spend money to win some titles. So I think the Dodgers are still the favorite of Rosh, but some of the scuttlebutt and the talk around the winter meetings is like, Hey, just hold your horses a little bit because the Angels still have a lot to offer and the Blue Jays. I do think it's those three teams though.
2: Yeah. And it, it, it's a great point. And it, it, it had me thinking back to the Clippers, you know, when Kawhi was, you know, a free agent and there was things leaking from the Lakers camp. And nothing from the Clippers. In fact, I, I think everyone thought the Clippers were not in contention. The Paul George thing is that, like an all timer at that point in time, tw- 2019, to have a secret of that size not mm-hmm. leak. So you know the the thought process, um, you know, not to compare Ka- Kawhi and Joe, but why the heck not? Is that th- there was an appreciation there? I mean, Kawhi is like, man, like these guys, nothing is leaking out. So we'll see. I mean, listen, Dave, Dave is Dave, and I do think. Um, if Shohei's gonna come here, he's gotta know that, that Dave is gregarious, he's media friendly, he may say things like Dave Roberts is the kind of guy when if you if, if you were to pull Shohei and we asked him uh, what did you guys talk about, he's gonna give us a cliff notes on what they talked yeah. about. Whether that's it yeah. or not, like that's Dave Roberts. And so like either you're gonna take him or not i i hope that that's not a deal breaker but it's a great point in this one that, that i didn't even think about but um we'll see how this all plays out uh, grant you're the best we will have you back on next week let's leave it there for now when we come back we will talk a little bit about usc and what's happening with the trojans when we come back right here on the mightier 1090 in Southern california the bet in las vegas and the Hawaii sports radio network
0: We go big, we go all night, and here everyone is invited. So get loose and get loud. This is Circa. You'll have the time of your life.
1: This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier
2: 1090 ESPN Radio. Steel clown went Welcome back to the Rashmark Coffee Show presented by the Sporting Tribune on the Mighty Year 1090 ESPN Radio, Southern California, 98.5 The Bet in Las Vegas and the Hawaii Sports Radio Network. Just as a reminder, if you have a question or comment or want to win tickets to an upcoming game in Southern California, Las Vegas or Hawaii, call our hotline 310-400-0340. All right, before we head back out to the Circus Sports guest hotline, I wanted to play for you. A uh, conversation. USC's new defensive coordinator, Danton Lin, uh, came over from UCLA, and we've talked about this. Um, how, how, how this was such a critical hire for USC. Again, every USC fan was really hoping that Lincoln Riley would make this move and hire a new defensive coordinator. Following the Cotton Bowl and following the Pac-12 championship game a year ago when the team gave up well over 40 points and 500 yards in both of those games, both of them losses. And he did, and it took him this entire season, but they got their guy. Not only do they got their guy, not only do they have Danton Lynn, by the way, the son of former Los Angeles Chargers coach Anthony Lynn. But one of the rising stars in this profession, someone that a lot of people around the country think that if he is able to turn USC's defense around, he could be getting a head coaching job in the not-too-distant future. So um, he had a chance to sit down and chat with the Los Angeles media. Uh, This was a conference call that took place yesterday, and we had our very own Fredo Cervantes of the Sporting Tribune was on that call. He recorded it. Uh, he asked a couple of questions and kind of wanted to play that for you just because of the significance of this hire. Again, this is a move that we've talked about uh, this entire football season. And, and again, dating back to a year ago at this time, following the Cotton Bowl and following the Pac-12 championship loss. So USC finally gets their defensive coordinator. We'll see what he can do. He's already on the recruiting trail when he talked to the media yesterday uh, he is out there recruiting as uh, we speak right now. So uh, without any further ado, um, here is USC's new defensive coordinator, Danton Lin.
1: All right. So, Coach, welcome to your first media Zoom with the USC Beat Media. Uh, we Thank will, you, guys. We will start firing away with some questions, and we'll start with Connor. Remember to please introduce yourself and say what outlet you report for. Good afternoon, Coach. Connor Morissette with uscfootball.com. Thanks for joining us here. Uh, I'm curious, when you're on the road recruiting right now, what's your recruiting pitch in general?
0: Right now, when I'm on the road, the main thing I'm really trying to do is just really just start to build a relationship with these guys. You know, I'm behind the eight ball. There are some kids that um, I was recruiting when I was at UCLA, so now it's just about continuing that relationship. But for the guys who I have not met yet, I really just want them to get to know me and just try to build a relationship with them as fast as I can. Ryan Karchi? Hey, Danton, it's Ryan Karchi with the LA Times. Uh, thanks
1: for doing this. I, I know when you took over UCLA's defense last year, you know you, you didn't have any experience as a coordinator and you took over a defense that was in desperate need of its own rebuild. Now you come across town and you kind of have another
2: defense to rebuild what you learn from that experience, just you know it being your first year as a defensive coordinator and also kind of having to rebuild that unit from the ground up how do you, and how do you think it could be applied here?
0: you know it was uh last year was a big learning curve for me just my first time in college. you know there was a lot of things in spring I was seeing for the first time. I just think going through this now second year in college, um a little bit more experience. I think that um, I'm just excited about the opportunity, excited about the process, but I also know that it's not going to be the exact same that it was last year. It's a different group of guys. It's a different staff, so it's not going to be the exact same. We just have to figure out the best way to try to duplicate that here.
2: Hey coach, thanks for for doing this. Luke Evans with the the Orange County Register, Um, my frozen. I? Nope, I do. nope. Nope. Okay. Sorry. My screen's just frozen. Sorry about that. Um, I mean, so just wanted to ask, you know, you, you had a chance to see this roster in, in the last game of the year. Um, mm-hmm. and as you're kind of going through the evaluation process, you know, when, when you're going through interviews and talking with Lincoln, just about what you see is, is the vision, um, for, for this defense, you know, what do you feel like you, kind of needs to change in terms of, um, you know, Lincoln was talking about just just wanting to play with size up front. You know, what are you hoping to bring schematically, philosophically to uh, to this defense? You
0: know, from a schematic standpoint, you know, my thing is that it's all about the players. You know, everything's about the players. You want to put them in, in the best position to play fast, in the best position to make plays, and uh, I think that that looks a little bit different every year, depending on how your team looks. So. Just really excited to get this next recruiting class in to see what this team's going to look like this spring and then try to see okay, with this USC team 2024, what is the best way to put this team in the best position? Jonathan?
1: Hey, Denton, congratulations on, on getting the job. USC's Thank averaged 10, 10 plus missed tackles per game for the last six years. That's three different defense coordinators. How do you plan to attack tackling when it seems it's been a systemic issue for the program?
0: You know, and tackling is always a thing you always have to emphasize. You know, you always have to emphasize. And, um, you know, I haven't been here, so I'm not exactly sure why that is. But I'm just a big believer in, you know, you have to emphasize just fundamentals over and over and over and over again. And at all positions, and it's something that you has to do all throughout the year, whether it's drills, whether it's showing guys good examples and bad examples on tape, it's just something that has to be emphasized. And then, um, you know, your team has to have that attitude, too, where they want to tackle. So, again, um, I'm just excited to see what this new group is going to look like, the 2024 team, and uh, see what we can do with it. Thank you.
1: Young.
0: Hey, Dan, uh, Ryan, Young Georgiansports.com. Two-part question for you. First of all, going to last year, what prompted you to want to make the move to college and and why did you see that as your, maybe your future? And then who would you say have been your biggest influences on on shaping your style as a defensive coach? Um, as far as making the jump, you know, um, when I got the opportunity from Coach and Kelly, it came out of the blue. Um, I really felt like it was an opportunity personally for a lot of growth, you know, doing uh, – getting a chance to call plays, getting a chance to coordinate a defense, getting a chance to manage a staff. So just the opportunity for growth and then working with the age range. You know, my only experience with college kids prior to that was interviewing them at the combine. And then I got a chance to coach the East West game a couple of times. And um, just coaching the East West game and being around the college kids, I just had so much fun. You know, it's just, um, it's different than NFL players. So I was just excited about the opportunity and about the growth. And then as far as um, coaches who have impacted me, you know, I've been very, very fortunate to be exposed to a lot of very good in- coaches. You know, the first coach offhand, I have to say, is Rex Ryan, you know, I uh, played for Rex. I was a scout for Rex and I was a coach for Rex. So um, he kind of got me into the league and um, a lot of the things that I do, a lot of the way I see the game always comes back to him. Um, Gus Bradley is someone who had a huge impact. I think he's just a phenomenal teacher, super, super detailed. And, um, I was only with him for a year, but that year I was with him, you know, I grew a lot. And then, um, you know, Romeo Cornell, Wink Martindale and Mike McDonald, those are the next DCs I was with. And I feel like each of them had a different impact on me. And, um, you know, I take a little bit from everywhere I've been and, um, you know, uh, just very, very thankful and grateful to have been exposed to those type of coaches. Great stuff. Thank you.
1: Hey, Coach. Uh, Eric McKinney from WeRSC. Uh, if you could kind of position group by position group defensively, what are the things maybe you know, physically, mentally, personality, like the, the key things that you look for um in sort of building those rooms at each level.
0: I mean, the biggest thing across all positions is versatility. You know, um, it's hard, I think, in the way the game is played now at college in the NFL to have guys that just do one thing. You know, you want versatile guys up front who can align in different spots. That way you can get into in different fronts without having to sub. You know, so you need certain types of bodies on the edge, you need certain types of bodies on the inside where you can move those guys around. So if we want to go from a four down front to a five down front, we don't need to sub to put a bigger guy in. We have the personnel where we can just go ahead and do that with the guys we have on the field. And then from a linebacker and secondary standpoint, you know, same thing, just versatility, um, football instincts, guys who are just very passionate and love the football. Mark? Hey, Coach Lynn, uh, Mark
2: Hulkin with USC. Quick question: When you uh, when you took the job at, at USC, you obviously you coached against them a couple of weeks before. What was the first thing you said to, to Coach Riley? Where you said, "Hey, you know, what, this is what I need." Uh, what kind of surprised you when you looked across the, the line of scrimmage and said, "That's USC, and this is what I need to go fix."
0: Well, Coach Kelly, uh, I mean Coach Riley addressed it, and it, it was you know size up front, especially going into the in Big Ten. You know, um, I played in the Big Ten, um, you know, Big Ten as big bodies on the offense and defensive line. And that's something that we need to get bigger up front. And then um, outside of that, you know, I'm still going through the roster. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I've got a chance to watch a practice. I'm out recruiting right now, but like in between um, recruits, I'm trying to watch games from this past year just so I can see the players. Because right now I don't really have a great feel for the team just because when I got the job, I hit the can hit the road and have been recruiting since. Great. Thank you.
2: RJ. Hey, Danton RJ Abadia from uscfootball.com. As you look at the tape, what stands out to you about the USC defense specifically uh, with regard to the explosive plays that the Trojans allowed last year?
0: I mean, the first thing that that sticks out is, you know, that the team's not that far away. You know, you see a lot of good things on tape, Um, as far as the explosive plays, you know, that's something I get, I need to watch more tape and dive into. I want to, um, dive into their playbook. That's something that I did at UCLA when I first got there. You know, I I watched the tape. I also wanted to know what they were doing and why and what their scheme was, because there might be some schematic stuff that they did that was good that we might keep. There might be some stuff that we changed, but I think to, to know all that, you know, you kind of just need a little bit more information, which I'm trying to gather right now. So
1: thank you, Antonia. Hey, Dan, um, this is Antonio Morales from The Athletic. When you got to UCLA last year, that defensive staff was already in place. How do you go about evaluating and building a staff on the defensive side of the ball here at USC?
0: You know, um, I haven't even got a chance to meet everybody on staff yet. Um, I was recruiting in L- L.A. for a day. I'm in Atlanta now, Connecticut tomorrow. So, um, just really focused on just you know seeing the commits, seeing the guys we're going after these transfer and portal guys, and then um, you know, I'm looking forward to meeting the staff, but it's not even something I'm really thinking about right now. Two okay. K. Hi, Danton. This is Chiquinho in with the LA Times. Thanks for making time for us between
2: all of your travels. No um, problem. <laughs> so. What did you learn specifically about being a coordinator last year? What challenges did you face kind of sitting in that decision-maker seat, especially in your first year coaching at the college level?
0: You know, just each week is different. You know, Um, in college football, you play a bunch of different types of offenses. You know, from a a Washington State team that's going to be spread, air raid, to an Oregon State or Utah team. So you just have to prepare for a lot. And, um, you know, it was just very fun for me to get a chance to coach the college kids and uh, really to see their growth from spring into fall and um i learned a lot from them i think uh, i've only really taught nfl players before this so getting a chance to teach in college kids has made me a better teacher because you know you're you can't assume anything you know uh that's something that i learned very early on you know you're really building the foundation for some of these kids right now hey coach uh, Fredo Cervantes here with the Sporting Tribune um, welcome to Los Angeles here again you, of course you came from across the town here but what are your some of your like football coaching goals uh, you strive to accomplish here coming into USC in your new journey I just want to play the best defense possible you know um, I think that um, we have every reason to I think that um, you know one of the reasons I was excited about this job is because I felt like after my conversations with Coach Riley and Jen Cohen that they are passionate about playing elite defense here at SC by any means necessary.
1: Greg, Dan, hey this is Greg Beecham with the Associated Press. You mentioned your playing history in the Big Ten. You mentioned the size that you want to get on this defensive line. Even broader mm-hmm. than that, what are, what are the differences that you are going to have to you are going to have to accomplish here and, and and do to play in the Big Ten, to take USC into a new conference with obviously a different style of ball and all that kind of thing?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's going to be, we're going to see even different styles in the Big Ten. And that's something where we have to do a good job in the spring, making sure that we're seeing the stuff that we're going to see in the fall. As far as um, we're going to see some two back formations, we're going to see uh, certain run schemes that we didn't see in the Pac-12. We're going to see more 12, 13, 22 personnel. So that's stuff that, um, you know, we have to make sure that we're preparing our guys for all throughout the spring. That way, week three, Michigan, we're not, you know, showing them this for the very first time. Thanks. Ryan Dyer. Hey, Coach. Ryan Dyer here with the L.A. Football okay. Network.
2: Thanks so much for the time. Um, you mentioned it briefly, but what can you take from your time in the NFL in terms of teaching and also in recruiting that kind of gives you an upper hand
0: and an advantage when talking to these kids because you've been in those rooms that looks at building a roster from the college game? I think just their overall preparation into the NFL, you know, um, from a schematic standpoint, from a terminology standpoint, uh, to how we teach it, to how we'll do walkthroughs, I just think it's going to prepare guys for the next level so that when they go to the NFL, there's always going to be Differences with each team. There's always going to be things you need to learn that are a little new. But I do think that um, between the scheme, between the way we coach, between the way we do things, it's very NFL-like, and it just prepares those guys for the next level. And there's a difference between you know having good players and winning football games, which is the ultimate goal. But our goal is to do that while also preparing them for the next level. Thank you, Greg Katz. Hi, Coach. Uh, thanks for having me and and um a couple of questions you talk about schemes and that sort of stuff how would you compare your style of defense to what USC has done uh previously under Alex Grinch compare contrast the defenses how the normal fan might say you know that that looks different what what's different what's the same you know again I uh I don't know enough quite yet about USC's defense. I've, I've watched two games. I've watched the practice. I, you know, I'm looking forward to watching the entire year. Um, but as far as our defense, like, I'm, I'm not a guy who has, like, a, hey, this is my scheme. This is what I do. Um, I, again, it's all about the players. I think you have to be flexible. You have to be able to adapt. And you need a scheme that is, that is built that way. And um, with the rest of the coaching staff and myself this past year, we were able to do that. You know, we had a, a very f- flexible scheme that not only fit our personnel, but allowed us to be a little bit different each week, depending on the offense that we were playing. And, um, you know, we're not going to do that exact same thing here at SC because there are different pieces, different players, different staff. But we want to still try to do that same thing in our own way this year. Thank you.
1: We have time for one more,
0: and we're going to go with the person that hasn't asked the question yet, Ryan Abraham. Last one. Thanks, Katie. Um, hey, gotta You played USC a few
2: weeks back. Yeah, held the USC mm-hmm. to just three rushing yards. Um, did that come up in the uh, conversation or the interview with, with Lincoln Riley? He talked about
0: any kind of self-scouting about how you could actually help the offensive side of the ball as well. It it actually did not come up, but um, I'm sure it will at some point, especially as we get closer to spring ball and we start competing against each other.
2: (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you, Coach Lynn. Thank you, Media. All right, that was USC's new defensive coordinator, Danton Lynn. I love that they made this hire before the Holiday Bowl. Again, the big key about the Holiday Bowl is not giving Caleb Williams his last game as a Trojan. There's no need for that. Again, Caleb, at some point this week, uh will announce he's going pro again at the very least he's announcing he's not going to be playing in the game in case you were you know trying to buy tickets to to, to see him he's not playing in the game he's going pro as well he should you know what my view is he's still the first overall pick in the drop but even if not he's a top two top three pick so i mean there's, there's no reason for caleb williams where this is important is for Danton Lin to establish his defense and to work with some of the players he's going to be working with this upcoming season and to figure out who they have on the team now, who they need. And by the way, look at what's happening with the transfer portal. Look at the number of players. Over 1,000 players are in the transfer portal. So as USC prepares for this holiday bowl against Louisville, which is taking place in San Diego inside of Petco Park, you know, it's not so much how they look in the game, to be honest, whether they win or lose the game. It's to figure out who's on this team, who's going to be a part of this team next season, who's, who's a part of this team moving forward. And it's so key that Danton Lynn was hired and that he's joined the team, that he's hitting the recruiting trail, that he's putting his defensive scheme in place. All of this is why it is so important that USC uh, – play in this game again i know there was a lot of frustrated usc fans saying let's just turn the page this is part of part of turning the page part of turning the page is preparing for the holiday bowl and figuring out what they got and what they need and so these next few weeks as we head into the um, holiday bowl will be very key in that decision all right folks that's all the time we have for today let's do it again tomorrow until then this is arash markazi saying stay safe and stay healthy.
1: This is the Arash Markazi show on the Mightier
0: 1090
1: ESPN radio.